This week's Little Gold Man is brought to you by If Beale Street Could Talk. Are you in the mood for love yet? The Los Angeles Times says this movie will put you there. Based on the acclaimed novel by James Baldwin comes Barry Jenkins' follow-up to Moonlight, If Beale Street Could Talk. A newly minted Golden Globe winner for Regina King's incredible performance. If Beale Street Could Talk is now playing in select cities, I promise you, you don't want to miss it. Hello and welcome to a very special post-Golden Globes Little Gold Men. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I am Vanity Fair Chief Film Critic Richard Lawson, and I'm here, not really in studio, well, one, one of us is in studio, Mike Hogan, our digital director is. Hello, Mike. Hey, Richard. And Joanna Robinson, our senior uh, writer, is on the West Coast. Joanna, hi. Hello, good morning. So we're all just getting our uh, satellites t- gathered after uh, what was the first big awards show of the season, um, and it was one that I would argue was both kind of dull but also full of surprises does that track for both of you yes (laughs) (laughs) from no big controversy on the stage or with for the most part no major speeches but yeah completely as ever unpredictable well not all unpredictable but a lot of unpredictable wins in every category yeah i mean obviously i think there was a sort of a 15 minute period after the show ended where my head was still spinning and i was just kind of laughing about bohemian rhapsody winning i mean Congratulations to the Bohemian Rhapsody team. But that was, uh, to say the least, an unexpected win for best drama in this completely bizarre category, screwed up year. Um, And, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? It's the Golden Globes. We always have to remind ourselves it's like 60 sort of eccentric people from Europe. So um, on the one hand, they have a certain amount of ability to kind of pre- um, showcase a lot of stuff that's going to happen on the Oscars. And on the other hand, sometimes they do something really kooky like that. Now, Mike, uh, eccentric people from Europe, that's a little redundant. You can just say people from <laughs> Europe. Um, but so what do we think happened with Bohemian Rhapsody? Because my tendency would be to say, well, this is the industry. You know, this movie made hundreds of millions of dollars. The industry wants to support a commercial feature like that. But this is not the industry. This is, like you said, Mike, this is press people. They don't really have a stake in box office returns. So what happened with Bohemian Rhapsody? Why did it connect in such a way that it certainly didn't with critics? There's a few things going on, it seems to me. But one of them is, like, how you see movies really depends on your lens. If you're a critic, you see through one lens. If you're an audience member, you see through another. If you're in the actual industry, you see through another. And if you're like an awards voter, especially in this case, because you're kind of a quasi journalist, but really your main job, it seems like, is to like to have this, you know, annual awards show and make money off of it. Um, you're, you're, you're looking at at what all those other people think. And then obviously you're watching the movie yourself. And so if you're a critic, you're sitting there thinking the whole time, like, I mean, you tell me, Richard, but my guess is you're basically thinking like, is this actually a good movie? (laughs) Can I put my name to a recommendation of it? Like, does it fulfill, you know, the things that 
excellent film is supposed to fulfill. And if you're an audience member, you're like, did I enjoy this? Did I have a good time? Um, and and I guess if you're an awards person, you're thinking, you know, am I enjoying this? Uh, do audience members like it? Because you usually have the privilege of seeing that or will they like it? Um, and you really probably don't care as much about some of the things that are important to critics. I don't know. I, I guess like or, or maybe they – enjoy screwing with critics or I, I don't know it's very unclear <laughs> i have a theory that has very little data to back it up are you ready yes this is why i was ready to see um both the bodyguard and richard madden in the bodyguard win last night even though it felt like a big surprise to a lot of people i wonder how much performance abroad has to do with this because this is the hollywood foreign press and so you know the uh, or not the body bodyguard which was bbc show Picked up on Netflix, won Richard Madden of Game of Thrones fame, a Golden Globe last night, was the highest rated show in the UK in the last decade. It was a huge phenomenon over there and not so much over here where it dropped on Netflix sort of quietly. Um you know, similarly, Bohemian Rhapsody has made over $500 million, 74% of its box office total, which is a huge box office total abroad. And it's a huge movie overseas. And, and you know, Queen is uh, uh, as much of a phenomenon here as it is around the globe. And so I don't know if that has something to do with it, that that the sort of like broader global appeal that we maybe somehow sometimes miss um, outside of box office reports that we, you know, sometimes look at. Does that make any sense at all? It does make sense. And I think that, you know, that's as reasonable a theory as any, because from my perspective, and you, you, you brought up, you know, the perspective of a critic, like, Mike, like, Bohemian Rhapsody, which I finally saw, by the way, <laughs> uh, in anticipation of the Globes, um, is the most kind of rote music. By, I mean, it showed us nothing new stylistically and, you know, artistically beyond Rami Malek's, you know, big performance that so many other movies, movies that were nominated, the HFPA recognized as some of the best of the year, did show us something, you know. So it's, it's kind of befuddling from a creative perspective. Um, and I think from the other perspective, and this is something that I wrote about in my little wrap-up of the show um, last night, was not only was Bohemian Rhapsody not the most, you know, the, certainly the best-reviewed movie of the year, but quite like Green Book, and another big success last night, Bohemian Rhapsody is a movie shrouded in in controversy, particularly related to director Brian Singer, um, who was fired from the project, not for the reasons having to do with his, uh, sexual misconduct allegations, but those are there. And you also have green books kind of that Cam Collins, our, our, our Cam Collins has written really well about, has its own issues in terms of its historical veracity with regard to its main black character for whom Shaw Lee won an award playing. So it was felt as if that this press association didn't either wasn't hip to the um, issues surrounding these two big winners or just didn't care. And I'm really curious what what that if it's a is. backlash? I, I actually genuinely wonder if it if it is um, and if we're in a kind of Trumpian like let's let's clap back at the fake news moment with these awards folks who are just feel like the woke, you know, movement has gone too far and it's time to sort of, you can imagine, for instance, you could imagine at these little luncheons and dinners that they do and whatever the, the Bohemian Rhapsody team, uh, 
saying, look, you know, the critics hate this because X, Y, and Z, they're all whatever, like whatever they would say to denigrate critics. But this is a big hearted movie. This is the kind of movie that, you know, like we need in this industry these days. And, you know, Rami Malek is like a great progressive hero um, if you're not like totally blinded by wokeness. And also, um, you know, like, who are you going to believe? A bunch of little critics or, you know, millions of people around the world? I mean, I'm sure that that was said. And it might be resonating at this moment in a in a weird way. That, that may be the moment that we're in, for better or worse. I feel like that might work with, with the Hollywood Foreign Press. But I feel like the controversies, and they're not small. They're not like ginned up controversies like I would say the stuff that we heard around Selma or stuff like that. Like these are genuine concerns around these two movies. I don't think they'll survive the Oscar voting process. Like I feel very confident about that. I think there's a faction in the Academy that would also be receptive to that kind of thinking. But I think that look, the, the main thing about both of these movies is that they're artificially, not artificially, but well, pretty artificially this year, but they're separated into two best picture groupings that kind of ended up being so weird with the musicals and the drama thing and the comedies, it, like everything was in the wrong place. Um And so the movies we've been talking about all year as being most likely to win Best Picture are like A Star is Born. Roma wasn't even allowed to be in either category. A Star is Born was in the totally wrong category, uh, perhaps, arguably. Um, And, you know, so I don't know. I think it's I I think that this probably is like a one night only, you know, sort of hilarious, bizarre travesty. But what do you I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, this is always the kind of tricky game with the Golden Globes is, you know, we can say out of one side of our mouth, well, they don't really mean anything because it's, you know, just the, there's 80 people, whoever, however many people deciding this. So we shouldn't actually look at it to predict the Oscars. And yet from the other side of our mouth, we're like, but yeah, it kind of can in some ways. Um, and I, but I don't think, I think this is a weird year where the best picture winners probably don't actually have a shot of repeating at the Oscars. But again, what do we know? I think the most interesting thing of the evening for, you know, future awards prediction was Glenn Close winning in the Best Actress Drama because not only did she come out of a a, a movie that got a small release in the summer that had premiered at one film festival a year prior, like that was a hard mountain to climb, but she got good reviews for it. But she also gave this really great speech that kind of gathered some of the larger social issue surrounding the award show together in a nice, rousing, concise way. And to me, I feel like she won the Oscar based on that speech. Well, yeah. Okay. Two things. Number one, I want you all, you both to know and all of our listeners to know that as soon as she won, immediately I heard my own words in Little Gold Men like a month ago or whatever thrown back at me where I'm like, where are you getting this Glenn Close narrative? It's crazy. It has nothing to do with reality. And then I was like, oh God, I have to talk about this in the podcast. Um, But the speech was so good. And I'm wondering, Mike, do you feel comfortable sharing some of your unified theories on speech giving at the Golden Globes with, with our listener? So to Richard's earlier point, I think that the Globes are not super predictive for best picture, although they obviously kind of indicate momentum. And I think the anxiety of voters that they don't want to um, be wrong is always, you you have to think about that when you're watching, like if this group of voters gives somebody an award, uh, another group of voters is going to think, hmm, maybe we should take that more seriously than we did before. So that's helpful, I guess, to Bohemian Rhapsody and, and certainly Green Book. But where it's really 
predictive is that it's an audition, I think, for actors. Uh, and the Academy voters are watching, thinking, we want to have a great show. We would like to have some really stirring, moving speeches. You know, Whether they're thinking about it consciously or not, that's clearly part of what's going on. And I think the canny winners know that. And of everybody who won, Glenn Close was locked and loaded and she came out there with like, you know, crying, the mascara fabulously, you know, breaking down on uh, around her eyes, like like giving this perfectly proportioned structured speech that was, you know, made you want to see her Oscar speech 100%. Whereas some of the other folks, I mean, Lady Gaga really missed her chance with Best Song because she, I think, assumed she was going to win Best Actress. She let Mark Ronson talk the whole time and ended up, like, inter- inter- interrupting him. That was a weird speech. Peter Farrelly's speech was, like, you know, exactly what you don't want to do um, in-, in terms of accepting for Green Book, where he kind of loosely thanked a million people and didn't get around to his, like, speech that he had prepared until the music was starting. Um, Glenn Close was like, you know, that thing was perfectly structured and crafted to make people think, let's give her the Oscar. Whereas, and Olivia Coleman came out and was charming and cool and her quirky self, but like Glenn was, was not playing. Here's what I'll say about that is Joanna, you, you, you know, you, you were chiding yourself for asking where, you know, where, where did this narrative come from? I was kind of doing the same thing. I was like, ah, you're nuts. I don't think she's even going to get nominated to Glenn Close. And look, she still might not. The Oscar nominations aren't out yet. But when I watched that speech last night, especially after an evening of a lot of like, huh, kind of decisions other elsewhere, I was like, oh, wait, I kind of want her to win. Like I, I had sort of forgotten that in the kind of excitement of Gaga and, who, and Olivia Coleman and whoever else. And I was like, oh, it would be great for Glenn Close to win an Oscar. It's been long overdue. She has, Mike, what you're talking about, which is I think her reaction was very genuine, but she very quickly mustered herself together and gave a very controlled Norma Desmond speech. You know, she she really like she like knows how to do that. She is from an old school of of actors who like has that flair that is um, both accessible and open, but very, um, you know, it's it's high. It's high drama. It's, you know, she it wasn't very, like, natural, I guess. Let's also not forget that, you know, whereas A Star is Born, I think, is showing the strain of having to deal with some pretty eccentric people who don't necessarily want to play the Oscar game. Um, Glenn Close has Sony Pictures Classics behind her, right? Tom Bernard and Michael Barker. And they don't have that many horses in the race this year. So you can bet that Tom Bernard and Michael Barker are, are doing everything possible to make sure that every voter is very aware of Glenn Close, of her you know, narrative, why this is the year for her, making sure they see that movie, making sure they understand that, you know, like all the reasons why this is so so in terms of the question of like why would we be talking about Glenn Close a it's a fantastic performance um b like you know the, these people they're not screwing around either like like these are professionals who really know what they're doing so she has a great benefit in that way the fascinating thing to me about like whether or not the golden globes I- impact what comes next is like nominations for the oscars start today I don't know if that's like the usual schedule. We, Mike and I talked last week about how the schedule's a little wonky this year, but I don't know if it's usually like the day after. So you've got all these narratives. If you're an Oscar voter, f- fresh off the Globes in your mind, um, and I think what the Globes can do is cement certain narratives, and then um, you know, like I, I feel more confident than ever say that 
Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse has a real shot at, at like upsetting the Disney machine and winning uh, best animated feature. That's a narrative that feels like more cemented to me. There are other narratives that feel cemented, but I think you're right that in terms of best picture uh, for me, it really tells me so little um, except for to go back to what Mike was just talking about. I think there has been this like presumption that a star is born was going to sweep in a lot of categories for a long time that perhaps some of the people involved in the production, like some of the murmurings that we've been hearing from Hollywood is, is maybe the, the awards machine irritated that certain people won't play certain games when it comes. And maybe the presumption of winning those categories meant certain people didn't want to play those games. And maybe last night was sort of a rebuke of that of like, okay, if you won't play our silly award season games, then maybe you're not going to win all the categories you think you're going to win. Um, I'm very happy to see Lady Gaga win a globe for best song. I'm very happy if she wins an Oscar for best song, but in the other categories, I'll be curious to see if the strategy for a star is born changes after what we saw at the Globes last night. Well, yeah, it's funny because I think that as much as um, Glenn Close winning, uh, you know, was an ascendancy, I think that Bradley Cooper saw a major loss last night in in, in, in not winning for Best Actor. Uh, you know, comedy musical actor went to Christian Bale and then Rami Malek won for Best Actor Drama. And just kind of looking, I mean, correct me, listeners, if I'm wrong on this, but it looks like the last time that a Best Actor Oscar winner didn't win either the comedy or drama globe was 10 years ago uh, when Sean Penn won for milk because it was that whole year of him and Mickey Rourke kind of duking it out. Mickey Rourke won the golden globe and it's happened a few times in the two thousands where, you know, no one expected Adrian Brody. He came along Russell Crowe winning for um, gladiator, you know, so it, it, or rather for, for beautiful mind. Anyway, it's happened a few times, but uh, it's pretty rare. And so Bradley Cooper not winning last night, despite the fact that we could say, oh, well, you know, the, the categories are divided. You can't really predict the acting prizes. You know, there is precedent for that. So I think that he should be worried if he cares. In neither the acting or the directing category. I mean, I know that mm-hmm. like Alfonso Cuaron was, if not the favorite, then at least sort of toe to toe with Cooper. But the fact that he walked away with like three chances at a globe and zero returns. It's not good. It was a bad night for A Star is Born, for sure. What is Bradley Cooper working on now? Is he, like, making another movie? He has a Leonard Bernstein biopic that's been announced. Um, He's got some Trap Behind the Enemy Lines movie that, I guess, is in pre-production. I don't know why he doesn't have at least a little bit of a beard and is not wearing, like, a cool, like, rock. Why is he wearing a white suit? But, Mike, I don't think that the beard and the hat and 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 the disheveledness is actually him, you know? What? That was acting? Oh, I know it's not, know. but since we're all playing parts right now to try to win Oscars, you know, like, like, but I guess, forget it. I'm, I'm I mean, yeah, I mean, it. I guess, I guess Lady Gaga diligently dyed her hair, kind of crazy color, like, just like Allie, you know, um, but like Bradley Cooper is a Georgetown boy, you know, he's, I think, a lot closer to the sort of Maryland uh, doof that you saw in Wedding Crashers all those years ago. I mean, not, not that, but not a jerk like that, but, you know, I think he's a little bit more clean cut. And so maybe he was just allergic to like be in Jackson, Maine for another few months. <laughs> we'll be back after a quick word from this week's sponsor, Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. 
It's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence, simple and intuitive, clear design, and with data presented in an easy to digest way. Richard Lawson. If anyone needs an easy to digest way to think about stocks, it is me. How do you feel about when it comes to stocks and bonds and all of that sort of thing? Well, you know me, I've been, you know, for so many years, been swimming around in my apartment full of gold coins, and I decided to put them to work for me. So I'm brilliant at that, but I don't necessarily understand exactly how the annals of finance work. And Robinhood has been really helpful in distilling that and making it accessible uh, and making me feel like while I'm putting my money out there into the market, I'm still somewhat in control, if that makes any sense. So I I would recommend it to anyone who is in a similar position to me, who's again, very rich. Absolutely. And I think I think that people who are very rich, like you and swimming around in gold coins, if they want to do something with their money, sometimes it's a little daunting. And you think maybe you're going to pay someone a lot of money to give you advice on how to do that. But Robinhood has no cost, no commission fees. Other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade. But Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees at all trade stocks. You get to keep all of your profits. If you, uh, you know, just want to see how this is all sort of working in a more pictorial sense, they have really easy to understand charts and market data. And it's really simple that you can place a trade in really just four taps on your phone, which is pretty amazing. They're also on the web. If you want to check on your computer, they have sections like 100 Most Popular, Entertainment, Social Media, depending on what you want to invest in. Uh, and they all come with, you know, analyst ratings, uh, whether you should buy, hold, sell, all that. So it's really all there for you in a very digestible way um, that uh, is helpful and also kind of fun. So if you want to reenact scenes from Wall Street or trading places and don't want to let all your gold coins stack up at home like Richard, um, then Robinhood is giving our listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build their portfolio. Sign up at littlegoldmen.robinhood.com. That's littlegoldmen.robinhood.com. Do you guys want to play my play my round robin game where we each talk about the top six categories and whether we think anyone's stock is up or down after last night? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Let us start with director. Having just talked about Bradley Cooper, do we think anyone's stock is up or down after last night? Mike Hogan. I think Quaron will win director. Yeah. What do you think, Richard? Yeah. I mean, it feels anointed at this point. I mean, as much as we know anything this, this weird year, but like, you know, there's precedent for a director winning you know, back to back or, you know, close to back to back. Um, you know, Quran's was a bit longer ago than, than Inuritu's were when he won literally back to back. But, um, yeah, I think that like no one else is touching him right now. Yeah. Um, all right. And I, I agree with all of that. Like, you know, and if Bradley Cooper wants this, which I'm not even sure he does, then, um, you know, maybe he has to change the way that, you know, he's been giving these very guarded interviews. So maybe something else has to happen. But if he doesn't care, then Quaron it is. I think he needs to put on a Texas tuxedo and just, you know, <laughs> let his beard grow out. That's my, grow that's that my beard advice. Out. All right. Supporting actress. Um, uh, starting with Richard. Well, this is a tricky one because Regina King, who won for If Bill Street Could Talk, that that film's soul win last night, and maybe likely to be its soul win going forward. She didn't get nominated for a SAG award, which was kind of a big, weird sort of okay un- unsettling of the awards narrative. And I was kind of concerned, like, okay, if Amy Adams wins this, then maybe King's shot chances are shot. But no, I mean she she won and she was great on stage. She spoke about hiring fifty percent women going forward as a producer. I feel like she really, you know, not quite as much as Glenn Close, but but you know, somewhat sealed the deal for herself last night. And what do you think, Mike? Well, I think she needed that win because it was starting to get scary for her uh, after the SAG snub. 
I think that uh, she is in a good position. I think she'll get nominated for sure for the Oscar. And I think she gave a good speech um, that uh, that that helps her. So I think certainly her, her stock is up after last night. Let me just take this opportunity really quickly, since we're talking about Amy Adams, to say justice for Amy Adams, who got who won in neither of her categories, despite like sharp objects, was one of my favorite things I I saw it all last year. She's the main reason why. Congratulations to Patricia Clarkson, but like Amy Adams missing out on that really bummed me out. Okay, best actor in a supporting role. This is a weird one because Sam Elliott, who's one of our favorites, was not nominated, even though he showed up to like you know um, just be his lovely self and and intro the a Star Is Born um, best picture bid, but uh, and give the know. dude his uh, his Cecil B. DeMille. But Mahershala Ali walked away with the the award in the, in the supporting role category, and this feels sort of like an Aaron Taylor Johnson win, where I'm just sort of like, okay, that's great for Mahershala, but I don't think that. Means Means, I genuinely don't think that means anything for the larger Oscar race. Um, what do you guys think about supporting actor, uh, Richard? I don't know if it feels quite like Aaron, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Not quite, yeah, yeah. You know, my thinking that Sam Elliott had it wrapped up this fall, I feel like that's faded. He's f- faded maybe the most of any of the Stars Born people. And then I was like, okay, so it'll be Richard E. Grant. But I don't know if that was more just me kind of projecting on, you know, because like Richard E. Grant won the New York Film Critics Circle Prize, um, which, by the way, Mike, you mentioned earlier how to insult a bunch of critics. Um, last year at the New York Film Critics Circle dinner, I overheard someone say, everyone here looks like George Lucas. So that's how you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, but, you know, so I don't know, Joanna, I think that like. Is Mahershala Ali actually the front runner for this award? Because people like that movie. And that's arguably a safe way to, to reward that movie. Don Shirley's family is saying that's not accurate, but I don't think anyone's really taking an issue with his performance. It's more the movie surrounding him. So I don't know. I think that, that he is firmly in the mix now. Like if, if, if I didn't think so before, even though I was wrong, I definitely am like my eyes have been opened. I hereby predict that he will win. Wow. Okay. All right. Mike's planting his flag. Um, I love Marshalla, so I'm not like I would not be upset about it. But um, I didn't feel like he had an answer to the Don Shirley question when he was asked it backstage, and he's going to be asked it so many times between now. So I think he needs to come up with a better answer for it. You know, I think what everyone did last night for the hard questions was sidestep it, which is something you can do, um, right? But what did you like about it, Mike? Well, <laughs> put it this way. I think that he survived it. I think that there are a lot of people like this movie. They want to reward it. They do not want to be told that they're racist for liking the movie. You know? And I mean, I am for whatever you may think of that. And so Mahershala is like the shining symbol of... I liked this movie and I'm actually a progressive person who hates racism, but I liked the damn movie. And so, you know, I don't think that he has to like solve the whole, um, the whole Don Shirley thing. It's not his problem. I think he was right. Like he's, he's doing a job. He's doing a a performance the best he can. He found out that there was more information that he didn't know about that he wished he did and that the family wasn't happy. And he reached out to them to talk to them. But like, I don't think he has actually, he, Mahershala Ali, has really more to answer for than that. I mean, maybe, again, like Peter uh, Farrelly may have more to answer for and and the uh, and the screenwriter. But um, I, I think he's in a very good spot if the enthusiasm for Green Book is as high as it really seems to be. Okay, here. so here's, here's a couple more things I will say. If 
True Detective Season 3, which premieres this Sunday, which Richard and I are doing a podcast on, uh, hey, on the Still Watching feed. Thank you. Uh, if that if that show, co-starring or starring Mahershala Ali, uh, becomes like a huge phenomenon, we could see a Matthew McConaughey effect and sort of help some, you know, he already has an Oscar. I would not, he's a great performer. I would not mind seeing him have two Oscars. The only other name that I'll throw in, I, I agree that Sam Elliott's stock is down. Um, Marshall Ali's stock is up. The only other name I'll throw in the mix is Adam Driver, which is something that we were sort of a little bit high on before the break. And I don't know if that sort of dissipated over the holidays. Um, but Richard, what were you going to say? I think Adam Driver will get nominated. I don't think he was maybe ever going to win. But I guess my concern for Ali is winning two Oscars that close to each other. That's that's a lot of pressure. That 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 sort of skips you past one movie club and into another one. You know. Um, were he to win for Green Book, it's at least a very different kind of performance than what what he won for Moonlight. You know, you know. Whereas Christoph Waltz, who is the kind of most recent, very close in, in time supporting actor winner, he was essentially playing a version of the same character for both Django and um, Inglorious Bastards. So, hopefully. Ali with True Detective is a big help in that in that regard. He's diversifying his actorly portfolio enough that being saddled, and I say that kind of half facetiously, saddled with two Oscars so quickly in his real, you know, his fame, the fame part of his career, uh, that that won't affect him negatively because I think he's such an interesting, um, thoughtful uh, actor, and I would hate to see him sort of miscategorized because he's now, you know this big you know, two-time award-winning actor. Yeah, I think that's a, a good concern to have. And once again, I think um, the, the true detective narrative will help add some nuance to that because I think if he's what he's doing in True Detective is so different from what he does in Green Book that, you know, his his versatility uh, will be part of the conversation. I do think Richard E. Grant could could easily like, you know, sweep back in here sort of Glenn Close style. I think that they have more work to do literally starting with getting Americans to know who he is. I mean, he's so amazing and such a legend in the UK, but I just don't think that that there's that much recognition here. Now, I mean, Academy members presumably know who he is, but like, I think they have, they just have more work to do. And then I guess, Richard, I'm curious what you think, you know, does there ever come into to it that whole controversy around a straight actor playing a gay character? Like, does that, if he does get far enough along, does that come into play and become an obstacle for him? Oh, I wish that the, not, the conversation was that far ahead. No, I don't, I don't <laughs> think, I don't think that really, if it, you know, if it's not slowing uh, Rami Malek down, I don't think it, you know, you said sneak in there like Glenn Close, Mike, I think that the Richard E. Grant thing, it's like that that's a sneak in there like Mark Rylance, you know, who who didn't win the Globe and then won the Oscar and everyone was like, where the hell did that come from? Granted, he was up against Sylvester Stallone for Creed and I, I don't want to talk out of school, but the kind of conventional thinking for those who pay attention to the industry is that Sylvester Stallone is not very well liked in the industry. And so a group of 80 plus foreign journalists say, OK, great, here you go, Sly. But the Academy, which is a very different body of people, they say, no, no, absolutely not. We don't all know who this British guy is, but he's in that Steven Spielberg movie. He's great in it. He's weird. Some of maybe some of the East Coasters saw him in theater. They're like, okay, you know, I don't know that Richard E. Grant necessarily has that same profile. 
uh, supporting him, but he has been around a long time, and he's worked with a hell of a lot of people. And I'm going to say one last thing, which is that they need to get With Nail and I on a goddamn streaming platform so that all these Academy members can watch it. Yeah, Mike and I will keep saying this until this award scene is over. I will say this last weekend I watched, I rewatched Gosford Park, which is one of my all-time favorites, and that's got a classic Richard E. Grant performance in it. So, you know, uh, check that out. That's that's available on streaming. Okay, um... Best Actress, we've already talked about this a bit. Glenn Close obviously had a huge night last night. Um, Olivia Coleman also had uh, a great night. Uh, Lady Gaga, not so much. So where where does this all land for you guys in the Coleman-Gaga-Close spectrum, starting with Mike Hogan? I think that that was really bad for Gaga. She should She should win the Golden Globe. I think, right? That's that's part of the narrative of of somebody like her, a pop singer coming into this race. Um, and the fact that she didn't, I think, is rough. I think a lot of us were surprised when A Star is Born went into the drama category versus the musical comedy. And like, I feel fairly confident, even though Olivia Coleman is a strong contender, that Gaga would have won if, that, if A Star is Born had been categorized properly you know what i mean so to put her up again in the drama category maybe felt like a bridge too far i don't know to me olivia coleman was in a stronger position than glenn close going into this so actually you know reminder to everyone what what do we know um but uh yeah it, it felt especially because of the quality of the speech it just felt that glenn close like blasted into the the you know top two contention and it's it now feels more like a it'll be a head-to-head between olivia coleman and glenn close but you know who knows i wouldn't count gaga out but i think that there, this kind of underscores some of the issues that i think gaga has which is you're, you're always in this position if you're not really an actor uh or not a longtime professional actor of people sort of resenting you coming in and you know they want to find out like what's your what's your angle here you know do you actually care about acting or is this just a stunt for you and i feel like all that baggage you know did not get helped last night yeah and also like she she fell into the same crevasse that bradley cooper has now fallen into which is like now they don't have a speech now that like no one they haven't they haven't gotten on stage or, and and that's supposed to be what the globes offers it's, it doubles the amount the, the opportunity for actors to get on stage and and try out their thing and i and i think that your unified theory of 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 speech giving Mike is, is is a very accurate one uh in terms of how these things shake out and she gave her song speech to to Mark uh, Ronson no exactly exactly this was that was supposed to be a coronation moment you know i mean to her credit i guess she wanted to recognize who else was involved but we didn't get the the sort of soul you know solo at the end of star, star is born moment for her last night and um you know so i guess she was technically on stage for the song win but it didn't feel like it you know and so if you game that out past past her, and then it's Olivia Coleman versus Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman's great, but can she put up any fight against Glenn Close? I don't know. It's like whimsy. But I mean, it's so funny because everyone's talking about the favorite. Or not everyone, but you know, like the the niche awards people are talking about the have been talking about the favorite. And like so few people were talking about Glenn Close's film. Um and but i can't disagree with you guys um i just want to really quickly point out i love being several years into this podcast with you guys because like i can remember the moment that i understood that the golden globes were like a speech audition for an oscar nomination and it was when meryl streep gave her speech at 2017 golden globes 
um not a, not a you know she won the cecil b demille that year right and then uh got nominated for florence foster jenkins basically i think off the power <laughs> of, that of that speech, speech so. which i rewatch actually every week uh it's one of my, my few eccentricities uh, every monday to amp you up well can i just say one more thing didn't glenn close get a standing ovation am i misremembering that no she did there was a damn standing ovation well, yeah. part of that was that he, they sat her so far away from the stage that she had to do the, like, awkward walk through the room. No one thought I was going to win dance, uh, you know. So, uh, you know, what are you going to do but stand while she does that? But yes, I mean. No, at the end, again, they stood at the end of the. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They jumped out of their oh. seats and cheered for her. You can tell that I was I was blogging and watching the Globes last night. All right, let's do best actor in um, any category. I was going to say drama, but it's any category. Uh, we already talked about this a little bit that like Bradley Cooper's in trouble, maybe. Uh, but what do you think about like you know Rami Malek's chances after this? Let us start with Richard. Well, I think that um, something that that maybe people were were like keyed in on uh, was that Christian Bale like got to shit talk Mitch McConnell and thank Satan for oh, the inspiration yeah. for playing Dick Cheney. And I don't know, like I said, it was something that I kind of zeroed in on in my review of the, of the evening, which was like, it was nice to have that kind of tang of negativity because everything else felt so carefully like positive and like not really addressing what's wrong with everything that like to have that little bit of like, yeah, fuck it. Like, fuck that. Fuck those guys. Like, I hate them. Like maybe people will kind of lock in on that and kind of want more of that. He crushed it. He's going to win. And in the whole thing with the wife, it was all perfect. I think you're right. And but like, do you think that that was a calculated performance from Christian Bale to win an Oscar? Yeah. Yes. I mean, look, with all due respect to Christian Bale, like, does Christian Bale ever do anything that's not a calculated performance? Like, he was speaking in an accent that I do not think is the Welsh accent. He was talking like a Cockney, you know. Did anyone even notice that he quiet, kind of acknowledged his um, freak out on the Terminator set? What did he say? Well, he said, like, I'm so happy now, and you know, I'm gonna, there's times when oh, I can be a little bit wow. crazy, or whatever it was. He just, like, acknowledged it. I uh, No, I think that he had it memorized <laughs> I don't know. It's incredible. Maybe I'm too cynical, but I felt that, look, they're actors, you know, like they're, and, and I think that he went up and gave a hell of a performance and, um, and everybody loved it. And I think that he probably was going to win anyway, but like, I think that he, that he helped himself. It's a way to, um, you know, it's a way to acknowledge that film that may not, probably not going to really win anything else. The film itself, like, maybe doesn't quite work, but um, but he's really good in it. And, and any time, you know, they just love actors and creative people love, like, a transformation. We keep talking about this, but I think that I I, I don't see anybody I, I will say Christian this really quickly Bale. before we throw to Richard. I finally saw Vice, uh, actually, since we last recorded, Mike. And um, I I really think that movie, like, deeply does not work and maybe could have been a great miniseries. Like uh, there's just too much. And yeah. if they had done like a five episode yep. or six episode miniseries, it would have been great. That being said, I don't think anyone can argue that Christian Bale does not give one of his classic, like immersive body head to toe performances. And like, it's a not, I think it's a not good movie, but I would like at the same time not be mad if Christian Bale won. Uh, Richard, what do you think? Yeah, no, I mean that that movie's f- problem is not Christian Bale being good in it. It's that they rely on Christian Bale being good in it to sort of do half the movie's work. You know, um, yeah, he's excellent in it, and you know, like like you said, Mike, he did reference vaguely his own past problems. I don't know if he represent rep, you know referenced all of them, but you know, 
Christian Bale is an actor who, like, you get some sort of, like, mm, the kind of consternated look from, you know, when you mention his name around certain people. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I tweeted back in September, like, there's no way Bradley Cooper doesn't win Best Actor. I'm still holding out hope. It seems dimmer and dimmer as each day passes. Um, I still think that Christian Bale and, and Dick Cheney might be two sort of tetchy you know, figures to, for, for a broader Academy support. But, um, but then you say, okay, well, who, who else? Is it Rami Malek? I don't know. I don't know. Like, um, it's, it's such a weird, tricky year that Christian Bale might just benefit from the fact that no one can decide on anyone else. Uh, yeah. And Rami Malek's speech didn't exist. I mean, Rami Malek has just such like a, an unnerving quality about him. He's like such a nice guy and like, and genuinely like, um, I think, pretty great in Bohemian Rhapsody, but um, yeah, that speech is not exactly like a barn burner. Um, and it is so interesting because I think I'm now thinking of Rami Malek as the lightweight versus Christian Bale, the heavyweight when Rami won the dramatic actor category and Christian Bale won the comedy category. Well, exactly. I mean, that's the bi- the best example of how the categories were totally screwy this yeah. year. Yeah. Okay. Last, last thing we're going to talk about, which is best picture. Um, you know, this, th- we've already mentioned this is sort of like a really screwy one where we're not sure the gold, the gold globes can be a bellwether of any kind except to like maybe further break open the narrative um i do think roma there was such like warm reception for roma that actually roma's stock is on the rise for me personally um after after the golden globes last night even though it wasn't in the best picture contention because uh you can't at the golden globes be a foreign language film and be in best picture contention i suppose uh so mike what do you think i think as i said before i think Quaron's going to win director I'm concerned about Roma because I can't find anyone who actually has sat through it who didn't watch it like at a theater or a screening um, or, or, or many people, a few people like real cineasts love it and do that. But um, but I don't you know, it's, you're not putting it on, you know, in, in front of a party. Um, I think that A Star is Born I'm now concerned about. It just doesn't feel like it has momentum. And I think that Green Book is, has real momentum. I do I do think that Green Book is now, you know, has to be taken seriously, like, um, th- you know, three billboards style. Um, and I, I don't know that that means it's going to win, but I think it's, it's in contention. Um, and I don't know, like the favorite doesn't feel like it's that in contention, I don't know. I'm sort of backing into a sort of anxious feeling that Green Book is going to win. Wow. All right, Richard. I mean, I think just like Venom is going to win at this point. Like, who, <laughs> who the hell knows? Like, it's so weird. It's such a weird, weird year um, where I, you know, I could see it going like four different ways, but. Maybe Crazy Rich Asians? Yeah, or Black Panther. I mean, I don't know. My, well, actually, my friend Chris Rosen said last night he really does think that Black Panther could win, um, you know, by splitting by splitting votes. So maybe, you know, that would be kind of cool if Black Panther surged back onto the scene. Well, especially because of the way that the tiered balloting works where it has to be a certain number of people put it as the number one movie of the year to even get nominated and then and then the voting for the winners. Like, it's all sort of, it's it's complicated. And I feel like some a movie like Black Panther, which might be, you know certainly a good deal of number one choices but a lot of number two choices like it could benefit from that um and and i think the other thing about a black panther victory or even a black Klansman one would be like okay like here here is a movie that is far more unimpeachable in in a variety of ways than some of the potential other front runners that have already picked up trophies at other award ceremonies. You know, like we don't have to deal with any Green Book controversy. We don't have to deal with any Bohemian Rhapsody controversy. Black Panther has been 
relatively controversy free unless you want to go to the right, you know, the, the right wing fringes, you know, whatever. But they, the academy is not really concerned about that. So, you know, there you go. That's kind of a, 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 a worthy win to some extent and and a, and a, a feel good one at the same time. So maybe that that will be the appealing um, route for for voters in the next few weeks. And I could definitely see it getting momentum off the SAG uh, awards because like that's that that feels like a classic Black Panther got nominated for ensemble, right? That seems like a classic ensemble cast to reward maybe at the SAG awards. Those are stock up, stock down. Um, I think we're running out of time, so we're going to save our Oscar host conversation uh, for for next episode. Though suffice to say that a lot of things are developing. Yeah, I think we can announce it now that um, Little Old Men is hosting the Oscars this year. I mean, <laughs> I'm really excited. Katie Rich, fresh off having a baby, is super excited to get up on that. No, stage, no, so. Sam's Sam's part of the deal. He, he and Charlie are going to be there. It's going to be great. <laughs> Well, that does it for this week's uh, Golden Globe special episode. You can read more about the awards ceremony uh, on VF.com. There are lots of breakouts about individual moments. I have my kind of review. There's, of course, red carpet slideshows. And, you know, this is now, we're, we're really now in, you know, we're far from the shallow now. Uh, we're in the season. It's happening. So please, you know, keep checking with VF.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Little Gold Men. Uh, we're all individually on Twitter. I'm at Rylaws. Mike? Mike underscore Hogan. Joanna. She wrote this. So we'll be back with another episode next week at the regularly scheduled time. In the meantime, this episode was edited and produced by Danielle Roth. And this week's award for the best preemptive review of the Little Gold Men hosting gig at the Oscars goes to Richard Lawson. Evening of a lot of like, huh, kind of decisions. 